Okay, Proverbs 28 today. The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. When a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. A, a ruler a, a ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law resist them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Okay, so the wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I wonder if the wicked man, I wonder if Solomon has a thought process that is connecting. I don't think these are written in order. I think they're collected in a order. I wonder what the wicked man versus the foolish man in Proverbs worthless man a wicked man walks that's proverbs chapter six if a wise man goes to court with a fool that's chapter 29 hmm. 81 bible verses about foolish versus wise men no that's not what i wanted hmm. just go the wicked man in proverbs 28 i just listed it compare translations no i don't want to do that the wicked man of law, no, no, enduring, enduring world Bible commentary. Let's look at that uh, again. Like this is more of a, this isn't like me just sitting to teach whoever might be listening about Proverbs, but this like, this has been serving as a somewhat of just a quiet time out loud and recorded. And so questions that I will ask, I just go ahead and ask here and then ways that I go about finding either an answer or options for answers, just because it's a commentary doesn't mean it's right. doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's found, if you Google it and find an answer, obviously that doesn't make it right or wrong. It may be quality information. It may not. When I was in my graduate work, Wikipedia was not considered a reputable research source that has shifted. That actually was shifting as I was finishing school, like in the, uh, when did I finish? Oh, nine was the last one I finished. So it's been a minute, but at the same time, it was, it was becoming more acceptable in the circle that I was running in from a research standpoint. It didn't make it the end all be all. And you still, especially in terms of theological research questions, commentaries, what books were written, things like that. But it still had like, as that has built in people adding to and, reputation it became more acceptable all to say i typically will start rather than pulling out commentaries that are now in the attic of my house because i don't have an office that has all that stuff typically we'll just start there and begin to ask questions if i have further questions then i'll go further whether that's reading has somebody written an article has somebody said something has somebody done a podcast or a message or is there a book specifically about this from people that i either spent time not studying them, but studying their works or following that or reading that, or if it had some kind of impact or if I know them or know somebody that knows them, or <clears throat> that's, it typically branches that way. But in general, especially with this kind of thing, it's like the wicked man flees. I'm pretty sure we can all assume 
we know what we know we know we know what a wicked man is but at the same time is there any more depth in what solomon could be thinking or is it just straight up like that dude's wicked he's ungodly which he has been using the word foolish for undisciplined and ungodly or that someone who would live as if there is no god but the wicked man so this commentary the enduring word.com this speaks of a confusion and fear that properly belong to the wicked, not to the godly and wise. This is both because they are under God's displeasure and because they lack the strength and courage of the Holy Spirit. That sounds rather spiritual in like just verbiage. I, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it feels like, <clears throat> yeah, I, if someone is wicked, those actions are not pleasing to God. I think that's clear in scripture. Do they lack the things that the Holy Spirit brings in your life if you have trusted Jesus and are actively being obedient to him? Yes, both of those are true. So is that part of... Maybe. The proverb implies that the wicked prompted by a guilty conscience or a fear of judgment become fearful and suspicious of everyone maybe so that's written by ross i don't know who ross is i'm assuming that's an adder to this commentary god sends a fate a faintness into the hearts of the wicked and the sound of a shaken leaf frightens them in arithmetic of nothing comes nothing yet they fear where no fear is from trap i'm assuming another Uh, maybe those are just references to other commentaries i don't know probably so because there's a lot of people that are listed as those that are quoting in here that this thing is just a commentary on this and it's referencing other commentaries and writers who have talked about that i mean i don't i don't know if we're going through history and we're just talking about people who have been wicked I don't know that that's characteristically true all the time. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I haven't sat at the table or been closely connected with someone that we would, if we're just thinking like through even like recent modern history, someone who is evil, obviously I've not been at those tables with some of those really, really, really big names that you would think of. So, I mean, I don't know. I do know that Solomon said, hey, a wicked person will flee, even no one is pursuing. There is, I, there is merit to, I think if we take this and just apply it to like everyday life, if I am doing something that's out of line with what God desires, meaning I did something dumb, the Bible word for that, I'm lighting my candle. Let's go Dallas. Dallas is the name of the can or the scent. If I've done something, okay, back to what I was saying. If I have done something, especially with consistency, that's out of line or inconsistent with what scripture says, meaning I send, that's the Bible word for it. And I don't deal with that appropriately. Proverbs 28, 13, the man who hides his sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses or the one that hides his transgressions, which is the same thing as sin doesn't prosper, but uh, the one who confesses and repents finds mercy. I'm not, I'm just quoting that. So 
that's a clear indication of man, somebody who doesn't deal with their sin appropriately, things don't go well for them. Why? Because God disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. That's Proverbs 3.12. So those like, there's a clear path of if I'm out of line, there is something at work, something being God that prohibits me from being functional at the level that I should be just in life. So and I've said this before, like coaching our football team <clears throat> is, it pertains to Proverbs 28. Like we back up for a second. I am not advocating for like facing the giants kind of concept here. Like we all started having a quiet time and then we won state. I don't think that happens. I think that was an absurdity. No offense to the producers of that movie, like feel good, cheesy Christian movie. But at the same time, I think theologically it was unsound at a minimum. However, I do think there is merit to if I am, if we've got 15 guys addicted to porn on our football team out of 65 guys, there's 15 or there's 20 or, or there's five, or maybe it's one and he's a key piece or even an unkey piece. Let's say that, Let, let's say he's just a, he's a guy that's out there, but re regardless one to 65 dealing with that issue and not appropriately handling it we are not going to be as successful as we would have been. We won't. And when I say success, like we're not going to one, when the game is over, our score won't read as high as the other team's score play by play. That person isn't going to function at their highest potential. They will have not maximized their ceiling as an individual, whatever ceiling that may be. And you say, what, what, because they're addicted to porn? Absolutely. One, if you just, if we just talk about practicality, the moments they're engaging in that activity, rather than being in the weight room, studying film, going through mental reps, getting in footwork, speed work, agility, conditioning, eating the appropriate things they should be eating to prepare, resting the way they should be, they're not functioning as well as they can be. It's it, it just it, you can't now you may function at a high level with that, but you're not functioning as high at, at a level as you can. And so I don't even think that's as much of a I'm going to use the word mystical today, not because I think it's magic, but mystical in the sense of like I like <clears throat> when we think of you're not going to prosper. God is intentionally orchestrating his hand to be like, you just failed. I think some of it's just really practical like the man who's hiding his sin is so busy hiding his sin that he's missing the time and attention that he would have put towards fill in the blank that would have brought success. That whole idea of effort and attitude, attitude and effort can bring success and overcome talent, not only on the playing field, but in, in the work arena, in life, in you know, relationships, that can, attitude and effort can be applied to anything where I'm wanting success defined by whatever that me, may mean. Like if marriage, I want to be married uh, from age 20 till I die, which let's say on average is age 78. That's going to take attitude and effort. If I am hiding my sin for 20 to 78, that's 58 years. I'm not going to be as prosperous as I would have been. And I might not make it through those 
5.8 decades of marriage, if I'm doing that, depending on what that particular sin may be in general, or just in, in general, like that will keep you from being who it is that you should be. If you're a man, you're not going to lead the way that you should. If you're a woman, you're not going to submit to the leadership and help lead um, the way and you're like, did you just, okay, let, Ephesians 5, let's address it. We were at a wedding last night. My niece got married and listening to the pastor as he spoke, Ephesians 5, 22, which he mentioned some of this, actually 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the way Paul enters into this discussion about family. It says, if, you, if you're looking at, I read an NIV, if you are and I don't know what your Bible looks like, whether it's on your phone or what mine has highlighted where, okay, chapter break, and then it gives you a subheading and go again, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ 21. And then there's a subheading wives and husbands. So he's entering into this conversation about the marital relationship. Now he's been talking about just relationships in general. Yeah. Chapter four is unity of the body. And in, in talking about just how we live, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And he goes further and says, hey, submit to one another. He's talking about the bot, like, like those who say, yes, I'm, I am in, like, I've trusted Jesus. I need God. Jesus is the way that bridges the gap between the divide and, and my sin and God's holiness perfection, that group of people, you should be submitting to one another out of your reverence for Jesus, right? So I am honoring Jesus when I am submitting to the rightness and justness of those around me who would agree on that. So if somebody comes to me, if my buddy who I talked about uh, the other day, Lance, who comes and says, hey, it hurt me when I am submitting, I am listening to that. I'm feeling the oof, that's painful. Remember, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So that's wounding, but I'm then going to respond with, man, if it's correct, I got to change it. So now I've, I've not only been willing to listen to a wounding statement that's, that's hurting about how I hurt somebody else and how I was wrong, but now I've submitted to that statement and I've honored not only my friend and I've restored a relationship and handling it appropriately, but I've also then acted worshiping Jesus and, and placing Jesus's authority is up here. Why? Because here's one of the instructions he gave us. So out of reverence for Jesus, I'm going to submit to this authority and I'm going to restore this relationship. And so, and then it leads into wives submit to your husband. So not only submit to one another, but here, like we're going to break it down in a subunit inside the marital family unit, wives are going to submit to the husbands as to Jesus, for the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So he's giving us the clear picture. If you've been to a wedding and a pastor talked, or if you've been to church and they did, you've probably heard this, just the idea of the the husband and wife relationship is a picture of Jesus and us as the body, right? And so there is a position that we are both given when we look at scripture and say, God organized the world to work this way. So he, Genesis one, he in six days makes everything. And then he makes Adam 
man and then says, which is, I'm not going to do, I'm sorry. I almost did the whole, like in Hebrew, like I am sorry. So he makes man. And then he says, wait a second, everything else was perfect. This one's not right. Not because he's not right, because, but it's, he's alone and that's not a good thing. And so that's always a fun story to walk through when I, when I get to do a wedding or something like that. And you're just, because early as I would read Genesis, I would read that passage and God would be like, man, it's not good for him to be alone. Let's bring the animals and let's let Adam name them and let's see if there's one that fits. And it's like, so they bring one and Adam names that animal and he goes, it's a rhino. And God goes, okay, does that, does that work? No, that's how my mind would work. And then as I got older and I became a dad and I raised, have raised and am raising my daughter and my son and had them as small children. And when you're teaching them something, there are times when I'm not just giving them the answer. I may pose a question. I may throw something to see. I'm, I'm doing a couple of things. One, I'm measuring what does he know or what does he not know? And where do I need to help fill in the gap? Or not only that, like I am showing you by letting you find the answer as we have that question. And, and that's how I now look at that storyline of God. He brings one, Adam goes, giraffe. And God goes, all right, buddy, I, is this the match? And he's like, nope, that's not going to work. And I'm laughing now because I said giraffe. And I've referred to my buddy, Lance, who always makes fun of my wife, Ryan. Lance is a chiropractor by trade and always makes fun of Ryan because he says she has an extra vertebrae because her neck is like, it's stretched out. So all of our text threads with Lance and Candace uh, always wrap back to a either giraffe emoji or meme or something that's like Ryan's extra vertebrae. That's, I don't have one. So anyways, um, you're like, I don't care what you're talking about, but so, and then Brad, Adam, or God brings the next one to Adam and says, Hey, name this one. And he goes, that is a lion. And he goes, awesome. What do you think about this? Like lioness, what do you think? And he's like, ah, no, I think she might eat me. Uh, even though Genesis one, two, that's interesting too. Like I'm bouncing all over the place today and I apologize, but the fact that he's in the garden, these animals are coming and he's having a conversation with God. And I think potentially having a conversation with the animals as well. You're like, wait, did you just Dr. Doolittle us? Chapter three, a snake rolls up assumedly with some legs because he then was later cursed to crawl on his belly for the rest of eternity. Now, whether he lost legs or whether I'm not sure, but snake rolls up and begins to converse with Eve and Eve doesn't run off screaming, not because she understands that this is possessed by Satan, but rather the fact that the snake is speaking to her, which someone argue, like if the snake is possessed, then the snake could speak. It, and <clears throat> maybe, I, I don't know, but the point is an action happened in the storyline that almost has a Disney-like feel of like Snow White or Cinderella is talking to mice and the birds and they're, and then Eve is talking to a snake and it seems normal. At least her response is that of, it, it doesn't communicate that there's an abnormality about an animal speaking to a human and there being an interaction. So that's, that's an interesting thing that I've always considered like I I obviously I wasn't there. You weren't there either. And 
Um, God asked Job the same thing. Like Job's complaining at one point and he's like, Job, I'm sorry. Remind me, where were you when I was holding the waters back and pulling the land and drying it? Like when I was carving the canyons and the way the rivers would run and separating the heavens and the earth, the sky from that and placing the stars where they're going to go and going light. Here we go. And then I got a moon and it's going to help govern it. I'm going to spin this thing in motion where you, Oh, that's right. You weren't there always reminded of that as I'm speculating, but at the same time, I look at the story and go, was that normal? Did the lioness walk up? And Adam's like, I think I'm going to call you a lion. And she's like, I, I kind of like that. And he's like, cool. I, are we good with that? And she's like, yes, I think it's great. And he's like, all right, high five. And then she goes off and he's like, but that's not the one. And then he brings it up. And so they go through this whole series of, he's naming all of the, all of the animals, a lot of naming. And then they get done, which I, at some point, I wonder if Adam's like, oh my gosh, pops. No, not like none of them are, okay, we'll go. Let's do another one. Another one, another one, another one. Just the repetition of maybe he's just hammering in. Like, I don't know if, no, I do. Point being, God goes, here's man. I, I made him first. So he is going to be the leader. Someone has to be the leader. You can't have two leaders. Like, can you? I don't know. Two really good leaders can lead together. Uh, and which is going back to verse 21, like submit to one another. That's how our family unit works that way. We lead this together. There are times, if you go back to Genesis 3, and part of the curse Eve got for disobedience was a desire for her husband. My thought theologically is that that is the desire for the position of the one she doesn't have but i really want the other one uh, which would be the answer at least in my life of why does ryan want control all the time i think that's part of it part of its personality and part of it i that's i think a normal thing of the tension inside the brokenness of humanity because of sin that we experience that. I think someday we won't. I think obviously in chapter one and two, their world worked in perfect unison. And so I think it was a clear setup of leader and um, the helpmate that Eve is that like, that's the establishment is one greater than the other. No. Is the position distinctly different? Absolutely. Does it mean that in life you can't have somebody who's more gifted at one thing and the other, and it dictates how you play out those roles? No. Uh, Ryan, I work for Ryan. It doesn't mean that she is the head of our family because she is, she isn't. Um, and do I help her? Like, does she send me things and go, Hey, so there's a list of things I need uh, for our company to run the way it does. Yeah. Why? Cause she's better at the front. She just is. People really like her, that her business runs off the fact that people love her and then they trust her and then they listen to her and it's reciprocated. She truly loves those she works with and believes in and can sell herself like, man, she's good at what she does. And, and, and even if but now off track point is wives submit to your husbands as, and so submitting as to the same way the church does to Christ. And then now as the church submits to Christ, also the wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I have that tattooed in Greek on my chest. It's on the left peck. It pretty much covers the entirety of that. So I have Ryan's initials inside the bicep that actually sits next to where 
the heart is in line with. And then that verse sits right over the top, significant. And then I have Proverbs 21, 31, raise a war horse for Dax on my left arm because he would be the right hand of position in my world, except he's left-handed. So it went on my left arm. Tanner's birthday is right here. Also Jackson Meadows' birthday without the year. He's a year older. It sets uh, next to my hip that has my anniversary uh, etched on it. I won't show you that one. The three arrows for my two kids and other kids that uh, I get to invest in because children are like arrows in the quiver of a warrior or an archer, state of Texas. Why are you like, why are you talking about tattoos right now? Because I started talking about Ephesians 25. I'm really sorry. The point is, we have specific roles that we are playing as we are submitting to one another, helping to lead one another well. And how does this relate to a wicked man fleeing when no one is pursuing him? I have no idea how I got to that point, except the point of, again, this is a recording of a quiet time. And it's okay to read six verses and get off track and end up in Genesis one and two and three, and then to Ephesians five, and then wrap all the way back to when I am out of line, I don't do the things God said here. Here's how I not only made you in terms of personality, in terms of nature and nurture in the environment I put you in to grow up in that was strategic for everyone. I truly believe that. That's Jer again, it's Jeremiah knit you in your mother's womb. Nobody's here on accident. Nobody's where they are on accident. And, and some spots are, are easier than others. And at the same time, the answer is true for all of us that we all need Jesus. And if I am not dealing with my stuff appropriately, do I have the tendency to be anxious to flee even though no one is pursuing yeah, that's a, that's a normal thing when we're living out our, the brokenness of humanity in our own life. That's a wicked thing to do. And that will make us afraid. It, it, it will, in my opinion, not, not my opinion, in my experience, that's what that's done. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I can say when I have handled my things appropriately, I am not afraid. Why? Because... If you go all the way back, which we haven't hit chapter one on Proverbs, but we will, but it says in verse seven, the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Hmm. It says like the whole idea of the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That, that is, that is a consistent theme throughout wisdom is the consistent theme throughout Proverbs. And the biggest rock that I have walked away with in all of my time studying Proverbs and that being a staple in my, okay, I need to, today I need to sit down and think and talk about God's word and think about God's word or write about God's word or respond to God's word or all of those things and let that be what, okay, center in self-care. Like I worked out, I ate healthy and I spent time reading the words of God. When I come back to, I am more afraid of Jesus than anyone else. I don't have any, like I, there, it's all fine. Now it doesn't mean that there's not angst. Like I don't, what am I trying to say? When there's tragedy in life, when somebody dies, when somebody's sick, when somebody's terminal, when things are just completely out of control, it is going to shake at least initially 
it, like it's going to rattle you. That's, I've been around long enough. I've been in traumatic moments. I've been close to traumatic moments. I've seen close people uh, inside the family in traumatic moments. And like all of those things we've seen and experienced. And it's a, like when it happens and it's coming again, those things are like, they will shake you. And, and at the same time, there's a, that's there's a process of like human response is a process like sorry for saying like job in his storyline at the end has landed on i trust the maker of everything in the middle of the storyline he didn't feel that way in the middle of the storyline he got to a point where he's like are you kidding me right now and that's when god responded with i'm sorry remind me where you were and that's easy to look on the outside and go hey so here it is but when you're in the middle of it dang, it sucks. And it's hard, but we, we can trust the, the fact that God will help endure and get us to whatever side that may be. And which could even be like, no, I, I did die or someone close did die. And I'm having to trust that heaven is enough that it, that that's just, that's the, the end story. And it doesn't always feel that way. And at the same time, God, God is faithful in the experiences I've had and I've watched and I've seen in dear goodness, I hope throughout the future and for the rest of my life, that that's true, that even in the moments that it does get shaken radically and it's a gnarly wave that there's still the, and I trust that, that it, it, that it is going to be each time the faithfulness of God in, in pulling that all back, uh, even in those really, really difficult moments, the high and the low moments. So when a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. Psalm speaking as a king, knowing that it's hard to keep your arms around everything and especially as it grows any kind of organization that's highly successful highly functional <clears throat> it's hard to keep your arms around the more people you put in power case in point the head coach i used to work for who uh, took another head coaching job in houston had been where he he had been coaching uh where i coach now for i think he coached 17 years so I mean, it's almost two decades and highly, 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 highly successful in that program. Had his arms array, it will function like a machine. And I learned so much getting to work there and, and walking in, really not knowing much about coaching football other than watching movies. And I'd coached before years ago, right out of college and then being around the sport, growing up around the sport, being in the sport while I was in the sport. And, and then being coached in other sports by football. It's, so I've been around it, seen it a lot, watched it a lot, but really had no idea how to coach the sport of football. And, you know, walking in and sitting in my first meeting and someone talking about 21 personnel and going, sorry, what does that mean? And, and then from there, beginning to learn the terminology and what we're running, why we're running the nuances of what we run, spe specifically catered to the personnel we had 
and currently do have and how we're going to do that and then how we're going to approach the opponent we face and then what we're doing to prep the next guys and next guys and how the program works and development and food and and all those things there it, there's a ton of moving pieces throughout the 12 months of the year it's not just we start camp august 1st and we play state on december the 5th and then it's over and then we do some weightlifting you know in the off season it's much 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 more than that and there's a there's a strategy to how are we growing? Who are we growing? Why are we growing? And then what are we doing with what has grown from there? And then how do we feed the next part? And then what goes on from there to, and, and then all that goes inside it from uniforms and orders and refs and stadiums and where we go and how we travel and where, where are we dressing that day and who's got the, it's, there's so much to it to go, man, there's gotta be somebody driving the ship that has a clear direction and clear DNA and a clear that's going to crank through and get that done with consistency to breed sustained success. When you don't have that figure, everything goes and you're like, wow, that, that, that's one environment that I play in that I would go, that is a very applicable, you got to have one guy driving the ship really, really well. And then those who help support that doesn't mean that, that there's only one person quote in charge. You got strong leader, those around that are trained and then goes out from there. Why is he writing about that right after, Hey, a wicked man, highly anxious fleas though no one's pursuing but a bold man will stand uh, as a lion or a righteous man will stand bold as a lion and then when a country is a rebellious it has many rulers I, I, somebody got to drive the ship here we go someone had been driving the ship here all that well like and, and when Solomon is talking specifically about rebellion, he is talking about what we talked about the other day, the justness and rightness that is communicated in the word of God. When people are running from that, when they are rebelling, when they are pushing that away and saying, no, no, Solomon says inside my world that I look at, it fractures everything. And it ha you have a lot of rulers However, a man of understanding and knowledge can maintain order even inside this swirling mess. We are living inside a swirling mess, no doubt. You can't look at the world right now and go, yeah, it's, we're good. However, even inside that, a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. Where does knowledge and understand start at the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. I'll read that one again. Proverbs 7, 1, 7, not 7, 1, 7, 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. There's, if I'm living in a, in a mess and I need to maintain order, I need to first fear the Lord and I need to not despise, but I need to grab a hold of wisdom, not foolishness, meaning wisdom being in contrast, wisdom and foolishness. There you've got the disobedience and I'm living as if there is no God, foolishness. And then wisdom, the contrast of that would be I'm being obedient to the rightness and justice that's communicated in the, in the, in the scriptures and i'm living as if there is a god and my response to that is 
I'm reverence there over everything else. So that when my friend does call and says, Hey, I need you to submit to what I'm telling you. That's going to sting a little bit. I've done that. That individual can maintain order inside the mess. Is everything broke right now? No, because there are some wise people. There are some men of understanding and knowledge that are maintaining order inside their sphere of influence. Those who are maintaining order are those who you would look at and go, that person is as bold as a lion in the middle of this. Why? Because it's a righteous man who goes back to everything we just said. If I'm going to be able to do what I was made to put here, almost that idea of that uh, Esther, like for such a time as this, that you were born in this time, in this place, and to do what Esther did in that environment to save a group of people by God strategically placing her and saying, here's the storyline you're living out. The same for us of, okay, where does God want me? Well, this is where I am. So that's clearly where he wants me right now, unless I've run somewhere. Uh, and if he hasn't said, Hey, you're in the wrong spot right now, then you're probably doing fine with where you're at. So am I functioning at the highest capacity? Yes. No. If it's no, okay, what about me has been wicked, has been ungodly that needs to be dealt with so that that can shift and I am maximizing my existence in what's in front of me and the window of opportunity, whether that is at work or that's at home or whether it's at church or whether it's in the government or whether it's fill in the blank, whatever it is you're doing, playing football or soccer or I, I don't know, whatever arena that is, am I being maximized with what I have, what I bring to the table and what I can do moving forward? Have I capitalized on that? Yes, no. If it's no, what needs to be changed so that I can, is there something in the way? Let's change it so that I can be like, okay, I am as bold as a lion and I have this understanding. So I'm maintaining order in the middle of the mess. I was going to go through verses one through seven. No, I stopped at six, but I only got through one and two and just ran all kinds of circles and have recorded long enough. So thank you for sitting and listening to Proverbs 28 discussion that then led to Genesis one, two, and three, that went to Ephesians five, that referenced Proverbs 28, and then went back to Proverbs one and kind of bounced around. And then back to here with the reminder of that the wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion when the country has and when a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a man of understanding and knowledge maintains order. Tomorrow, Proverbs 29. Thanks for listening.